0: So if I were to ask you to name the Ten Commandments, usually when you put that kind of a question out, people come up with the big ones, the easy ones. Don't lie. Don't kill. Don't steal a parking spot. Um, Those kinds of things, you know. Um, People think sometimes that that list is just this unbreakable a group of rules that you get one shot in life to uh, keep them, and if you break one, you're absolutely done for. And then once you've broken one, and if you're already done for it, it, it the rest doesn't matter. And so it's kind of a, it's kind of a sociological, spiritual free for all. And that, in some ways, is exactly how uh, many people may decide to to live their lives. But that's not where we're coming from. We're coming from a position where we're just sometimes we're just tired and we, we, we need help and we need encouragement and we want to make good decisions, but there are times when we're overwhelmed in circumstances of life that seem to uh, make the decision for us rather than uh, leaning on the wisdom of God, the, the love of God, the grace of God, the power of God. And so when it comes to the Ten Commandments, they are not a set of rules that were written for an ancient people that no longer apply to, quote-unquote, today's modern uh, world. Uh, Quite to the contrary, they still work really, really well and it's not just simply 10 words or even 10 sentences there are concepts here that have a foundation for life that that bring not just uh, uh prohibitions but blessings and encouragements And so uh, our goal to talk about the significance of these commandments for our lives is to, to learn the wisdom that God had always intended for people to live by so that we ultimately could live lives that please him. Because after all, if our primary goal is to help people find and follow Jesus, Jesus himself lived by these laws, and you know he did pretty well. So uh, in mimicking him, in following him, in trying to uh, make his life our example for living, we're taking a look at these uh, Ten Commandments over the next ten weeks, and uh, we want to gain that wisdom so that we can apply it to our lives and live a life again that pleases God. But a little backstory, very brief backstory, as to how we uh, get this point, get to this point in the first place. Through a series of events, the people of God found themselves a, a nation that was enslaved by uh, the ancient Egyptian empire. At the time, they were the most, one of the most powerful nations in the entire world. Their reach stretched quite far away from where you and I currently would find Egypt on a map. Uh, And the people of God were the slaves of the Egyptian rulers building so many of those those ancient great cities that uh, we now see. But uh, uh, after a while, God said, enough. And he sent a man named Moses to go talk to Pharaoh. That's the title of the king uh, in that ancient world, to go talk to Pharaoh and to basically said, I represent God. And God says to let his people go. And Pharaoh just kind of said, well, um, let me think, no. And uh, he just was, he, he wasn't, that wasn't going to happen. And so God, in another series of events, demonstrated his power over any and every aspect of Egyptian life and rule and law and so forth. And uh, eventually, Pharaoh said, enough, enough. I, I don't want to go through any more of these bad days that uh, God brought upon Pharaoh and the, and the people of Egypt. And he let the people go. So um, they leave as a nation walking out uh, of Egypt, but you gotta you gotta realize <clears throat> this is a group of people that for a bunch of generations, nearly four hundred years, they just lived as slaves. They ate what they were told to eat. They dressed the way they were told to dress. They worked uh, whenever someone told them to work. They lived where they were told to live. It, it, they lived by the slave master by the whip, and and, and that was it. They didn't have any laws. They didn't have any ways of making decisions amongst themselves, and suddenly they have all of this freedom, and what are they going to do with it? So God says, I'll tell you what you're going to do. I came and I I rescued you, and now I'm going to give you rules to live by. Because ultimately, I want this to be for your benefit. These aren't rules that I'm going to give you that I'm going to just kind of sit from on the other side of the corner of the building and watch to make sure you do the right thing. And when you don't, to just pounce on you. No, I didn't rescue you from one form of slavery to put you into another form of slavery. I rescued you so that you could have life and you could have hope. And that's really the whole point. I like the way that uh, I read uh, one preacher. He, he put it this way. He says, um, here's, the, uh, here's where you need to understand the Ten Commandments in relation to the stories we find in the Bible and how they apply to you and me today. The Ten Commandments were not given as a requirement for salvation. Listen to this. This is really important. They were not given necessarily as a requirement for salvation, but rather a response to the salvation that they already had received. That's a big difference. They were not given as a requirement to salvation proper, but as a response to salvation that... uh, They already had. God is saying, even before I'm giving you these laws, I've delivered you and you are my people. I'm not giving you this law so that you can earn that privilege. You're already in. See? I'm giving it to you because I love you and I'm committed to you and I want to give you a good life. I didn't bring you out of slavery to put you under a whole different burdensome, heavy-weighted, unlivable way of living. There's a big difference there. So you're saying, Shan, that's great, okay. But what happens when I do break a commandment? What happens when I do sin? What happens when I make a mistake? What happens when I do something stupid? Or it didn't intend to be stupid, but it ended up to be stupid. Which is most of us. We're not condemned without hope. If one mistake happens, we don't, you know, use that old adage of throwing the baby out with the bathwater kind of a thing. It's not how that works. We belong to Jesus. That's why God sent Jesus. Um, Jesus was sent to free us from our own slavery, our slavery to sin. And because of that, we do have hope. In fact, that's exactly what the Bible says in First John. It says, if we confess our sins, all right, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Sometimes, anybody ever do anything dumb? Okay, anybody ever do anything dumb and have to face up to it? I'm not sure which is more awkward at times, the recognition that you did something dumb that you shouldn't have done or the fact that you got to go talk to your parents, talk to your uh, boss, talk to your spouse, talk to your friend that you did something that you shouldn't have done, said something you shouldn't have said. And if it's hard with people that we can see, what about God but yet he makes it so much easier. We can just say, God, I I blew it. It it, it didn't work out. And I I, I meant to do the right thing, and and I didn't do it. Or, God, I I was just, I really was a jerk. I I planned to do it, and I thought it wasn't going to be that big of a mess, and now it is a mess, and here I am. And if you confess your sins, he is faithful and will forgive you if you know Jesus, if you don't know Jesus, I got good news there too. You can know him right here and right now today. You can acknowledge who he really said he is for your life and you can get that same freedom from sin because of Jesus. Romans chapter 5 says the same thing. Uh, while we were, God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, while we were still in slavery to continue the the point here Christ died for us he paid that penalty so if there's there's no way you can miss out on hope here today that's exactly the way it was supposed to be so having been rescued by the grace of god through the ministry of Jesus, we gratefully embrace things like the Ten Commandments. We don't uh, uh, try to not talk about them and, or, or set them aside as if they don't apply to us today. No, God's rescued us, and so we joyfully, thankfully embrace them and say, God, you rescued me. Now I want to live the way that you want me to live because I don't want to end up in a mess again. That really is the point of the Ten Commandments then and now. So with that being said, let's kind of uh, jump right into commandment number one. Now, if you want to, I really recommend to read The, the story is absolutely amazing. It, it really is if it's summer and you're looking for a good summer read, go to your Bible, go to the first page. One of the first books you're going to find is the book of Genesis. Go all the way to the end of Gen. Actually, you can read about the Abraham if you want, but that's great. Just go, go to the next book, Exodus, and that's where you're going to be introduced to everything I just gave in, in about five sentences. You know, tell the whole story of how it all came about and why the people were there and how Moses came to be who he was and all the things that God really did. And then in Exodus chapter 20 we have the first listing of, uh, of the commandments. You also find them again in Deuteronomy chapter 5. That's a couple books later if you want to. But find a Bible anywhere. There's, if you don't have one, there's, one un, there's some underneath the chairs here. Take one home. Uh, take two, one for the car, all right? It's, it's, it's fine. Uh, take one home, go to the first book, Genesis, go past that book and go to the second book, Exodus, and just read the first, uh, the first uh, uh, 20 chapters and then you're gonna get the list. And in that list, uh, uh, commandment number one is this. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Commandment number one, you shall have no other gods before me. There's significance here that goes far beyond the three sentences or two sentences. There's great power here, and I want you to see that today. First of all, the significance of of who we worship is found in how personal worship truly is. Who you worship is really, really personal. Now, when I say that, I'm not talking about the fact that you are here, you decided to get up and get in the car and drive here today. You sang just a little bit ago. You gave just a little ago. You participated in communion a bit ago. You're, you're listening. You're learning. You, you made all these decisions, and, and, and you are bringing this, that. I, I understand why we would make that personal, but that's really not what I mean when I say that who you worship is personal. I want you to understand that it was personal for God first. It was personal for him first. I am the Lord, your God. Now, for those of you who are Bible students and grammarians, there's a really neat thing here that I want to kind of bring out. When God says, I am the Lord, your God, it's not plural. The pronoun is not your as in uh, all y'all, as we used to say in the South, all right? All right? It's, I am the Lord, your God your God, and your God, and you, and you, and you. It's personal with him. It's personal with him to you and me individually. He saw each one of those people in Egypt and is now saying to them, I'm the Lord, your God, and your God, and your God. I saw all the difficulty that you were going through. I saw what you were going through. I saw how you got angry, and you got frustrated, and you prayed, and you worried, and so on and so on. And he makes it very, very personal for you and me. And, and the metaphor continues on that when he says, I brought you out of Egypt, out of slavery, uh, y- you pick the Egypt that you're in. You pick the mess that you happen to be in or were in. The Egypt of, uh, uh, of addiction, the Egypt of, uh, uh, of anger, the Egypt of jealousy, the e- Egypt of frustration, the Egypt of anxiety. You pick it, God knows exactly where you are. And while you and I have intelligence and we have understanding and we have resources and we have help, you still need God. You still need him. He's the one that can do that. He's the one that can make that difference. Um, he says it, says it like this, I came to rescue you. I care about you. You. I didn't come to you when you were worshiping me or when you were living a perfect life. I came when you were broken, when you were in trouble, when you had nothing to offer. I came to you and brought you out of whatever Egypt you call Egypt. Anger, abuse, addiction, jealousy, a broken home or marriage, the guilt of a sin that still whispers your name in the middle of the night and nobody else can hear it. He knows no one else could do what he did for you and you couldn't do it either. That's why, when it's all said and done, not only is who you worship personal, but who you worship is really, really, really powerful. You know when it's powerful? When the mess that only you know about When the difficulty that only you understand, when the perspective that only makes complete sense to you, and you can't do anything about it, and God shows up and everything changes. It's powerful because you see the power of God moving in your life changing your mind, changing your marriage, changing your family, changing the way that you even work and how you're blessed and so many other different criteria. That's the difference. You will have no other gods before me. Now, I need to go back to the backstory to help you to understand the perspective that... Uh, and see, one of the things I say a lot is that people are people are people. In some ways, it doesn't matter whether you live in the 21st century uh, uh, AD or the 21st century BC. It, it, it doesn't matter because people still get frustrated over the same things. They still make the same stake mistakes. Technology is almost irrelevant, See, when God brought the people out of Egypt, it wasn't just the fact that they were slaves and they didn't have rules for themselves. The only lifestyle that they understood was a lifestyle of worshiping gods for anything and everything. There was a God of the Nile River. There was a God of livestock. There was a God of weather. For crying out loud, Pharaoh was a god. And so when you live in a community and in a culture where there's a God for this and a God for that and a God for this and a God for that, because, you know, we don't live like that, do we? I mean, uh, let's go through the gods that we currently have in our current culture, okay? Um, Capitol Hill, Beacon Hill, Celtics, Red Sox, NASCAR, uh, Amazon... Netflix. Now you say, Shan, how in the world listen. If you put something in front of God, if you give preeminence to something or someone else rather than God, then this sounds almost almost inappropriate. But what it is, it's kinda like God sitting on this on this throne, you say, wait a second. You get off. I'm going to put something else here. That's the perspective. And in the very beginning, now that he's pulled this people out of that way of life, and he said, I know that, it's Shan's paraphrase version, I know that you used to worship this and worship that, or just wonder what in the world they were worshiping. Now it's me. Because no one else can do for you what I have done for you. At every step, they brought up this God, I showed more power. They brought up that God, I showed more power. And when it was all said and done, every single one of the gods they thought that had preeminence, even the God of death, I had power over that too. So now, I get first place in your life. You have no other gods before me. Now, when a guy like me says something like that, it seems in some ways kind of manipulative. And one of the most obvious questions that you might come up with, you're going to go, wait, wait, wait. I put God in front of my husband? I put God in front of my wife? I put God in front of my country, in front of my kids, in front of every... Um, yeah... Who gave you your spouse? Who gave you your kids? Who gave you whatever it is that you have? Who continues to bless you and watch over you and take care of you? Who rescues you when you're in trouble? Whose name do you pray in? And so on. Who you worship is personal, but it was personal to God first. Because he came to you and rescued you. And who you worship is powerful because when you see God moving in your life, the difference that is made, you're so excited, you're so encouraged, you just can't wait to tell other people about it. That's how powerful God's presence is in your life. So the first time that the Ten Commandments are shared in your Bible is in Exodus chapter 20. That's the second book of the Bible. You go to the third, fourth, fifth book of the Bible, and that's called Deuteronomy. And in chapters 5 and 6, it's recorded again. But it's a little bit different than at the next book of the Bible, and that's the book, a book named Joshua. By this time, all the people who came out of Egypt, that generation... Has passed on. And it comes time for the people of God, the very next generation, to choose who they're going to serve. They weren't there necessarily uh, to see everything that God had done in Egypt, they weren't there to witness, quote unquote, the power of God in that incredible event of having them leave Egypt and leave slavery after multiple generations. Now it's time for a new generation to decide whether they're going to honor God. And in Joshua chapter 24, there's a powerful statement that the leader makes. He says this, But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, if it just seems too much, if it seems like these rules are just a whole group of negative ninnies, that really make life boring and difficult and hard and unacceptable and not fun and so on and so on, then choose for yourself this day who you will serve. Whether the gods of your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates, that's back in Egypt. Things like rivers and suns and clouds and death. Or the gods of the Amorites, they're about to go into a land that's also occupied by people who have many gods. In whose land you are now living, but as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. It doesn't matter whether you're the second generation of the Hebrew people, the second generation of Edgewood, or the first generation of wherever. Wherever. The choice is still yours. Who are you going to serve? Who are you going to honor? Who are you going to live for? When my kids were little, uh, one of the things I always enjoyed was when I'd come home after a day. I'd come up to the front door and I could hear all the yelling and the screaming going on inside the house. And I'd open up the door, and I'd say, Dad's home! And they would scream, and they'd just start running. They would just run to me, and Leslie would come out looking like she'd been through nine rounds of a a ten-round fight. And, um, oh, sure, they run and are happy to see you. It's fun to be worshipped. But it wasn't too many years along where I'd come to the forum and I'd say, Dad's home and nobody would come. And after a while, they'd just kind of run away. Maybe they found out that I wasn't as strong as I used to be or wasn't as smart as they thought I was. I wasn't able to fix everything that I could fix before. Or I couldn't make ice cream the most wonderful thing in the world anymore. Maybe I'm not the best dad in the whole world or the best husband. Maybe it wasn't me who made everything work. It was God in the first place. And the more I thought about How good God made my life and how blessed God was to me. All I could do was honor Him. And instead of trying to tell teenagers that they really needed to respect me, I found it a whole lot better to tell them that they really needed to trust and love God. Because He's the one. That's always been and always will be worthy of the top spot, first place in your life. So who are you going to choose? What way of life will you choose? Will you choose an empty way of life that you've had before? Or an empty way of life that someone else might recommend? Or will you choose the God who knows you, who loves you, who sought you first and loved you before you knew who he really was? As for me and my family, I choose God. God, we love you so much. You bless us in ways that we Enjoy so much and God we just begin to list them all and we're so thankful God we thank you for seeing us in the middle of our mess and loving us anyway for seeing us uh, for the mistakes that we've made sometimes by accident sometimes on purpose and you still love us you sent Jesus for us and it's by his blood that we have been eternally redeemed And so as we come today, Lord, we're humbled, we're grateful, we're so thankful, and we worship you because you and you alone can do for us what no one else could, has, or will be able to do. So God, as we are here again, we want you to know that we choose you. There are people here who know you and love you and, but are just overwhelmed. They're tired and they're sometimes not sure which way to turn. God, help them. Help them to see that you are waiting to rescue them again, to help them again, to comfort them again. Then there are people, God, who, who are at their last rope. And they're here today because they just need your wisdom. They need your peace. They need hope that only you can give. You made it possible by your son, and because of him, they can have a life again. I pray that you would speak that message to their mind and to their heart and encourage them to find and follow your son, Jesus. God, thank you for giving us these commandments, these ways to live life live a life that pleases you. Bless us now as we live for you. We pray this in Jesus' name.